In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Okay, Carla, uh, may I call you Carla? Why don't you tell me a little bit about why you think that uh, you've been brought here today? I'm uh, watching a movie and deciding if I like it or not. Okay, so you you feel like you you were watching a, like life is watching a movie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now your husband wanted to have you um, examined uh, to see if you're you're mentally fit. <laughs> and so we're I we're just gonna going to be examined today. Okay. Well, that we're we're just talking right now. That's all we're we're doing. But he also thinks that you might be faking it in order to get out of uh, having to watch more movies. Faking? Faking. Disinterest? Faking mental illness. Oh. oh. <laughs> now, why do you think that he would say something like that? Um, because, I'd, because this process is driving me crazy. Because it's my understanding that you're almost done, that uh, you only have to... Record, I think, five more podcasts and watch uh, four more movies. I know. It's so close. Okay. Um, but uh, do you feel like you're you're a little crazy? No, I feel like I'm the most sane I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That might be a problem then. <laughs> uh, hello, Craig's listeners. Man, I'm not going to miss that. What? <laughs> <laughs> I never know when you want me to join in or not. You did perfect. Okay. I mean, it's an improvisation, Carla. So it's, no, it's more not, about like keeping you on really. your keeping you on your feet and seeing what happens, you know. And mm-hmm. I just want to get your pure, unbridled response in in that moment. And that was wonderful. Thank you. It's similar to the process that Milos Forman put his actors through on the uh, the set of this movie. But we'll get into that. Uh, hi, Craig's listeners. We're up to number five on Craig's list. Wow. This is episode number 96. Wow. And we're going to be talking about a 1975 film directed by Milos Forman, uh, adapted from a novel by Ken Kesey by the writer Bo Goldman, starring Jack Nicholson, Louise Fletcher, Danny DeVito. Christopher Lloyd. Many others. So and, many men. And it's called... One flew over the cuckoo's nest. But to help us do that, we have a returning guest. Ooh. It's me. A, lo- <laughs> a long time ago. Years and years ago. It's er- been three years, probably. It's crazy that it's been that long. Not since we've seen you. No, no. But since you were appeared on this podcast, yeah. we reviewed a little movie by Jean Renoir called The Rules of the Game. And uh, you and Carla hated it. And uh, <laughs> not to mince words, you guys did not care for that film. No. We promised you a better film. I don't know if we delivered or not. We'll find out in a moment. But please welcome our friend Todd Cooper. Hello. It's so good to be back here. It's been a long time. It's yes. Been, I mean, that was probably 2016. That can't be true. Is that right? That's Pre- when the podcast started. Pre-Trump. 
Oh, man. I think it was. I think it was pre-Trump. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe I voted for that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had a falling out over the election. So it's, you know, we're, but we're, it's Christmas season here in LA. So we're, we're patching things up. That's right. With Todd. (laughs) Maybe you'd appreciate the rules of the game more. And it's, uh, it's satire of class society now that we're we're living in that reality. Boy, w- 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 it was sure worth it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's cut to the chase. Was yeah. this movie more worth your time? Sure. The rules of the game? I got to tell you, when I started this movie, I was watching it and um, I was like, oh boy, the, that front part, pretty slow. Yeah. Uh, I felt. And then, and I was like, here we go. This is, we're headed down the road. And then I, I ended up really enjoying it. Okay. I might rewatch. Wow. Yeah, I got a 30-day rental on iTunes. (laughs) I'm going to get my money's worth. Is that such a thing? You could do a 30-day rental? And now that I say that out loud, I realize it is probably 30 days to watch it once. (laughs) And I think I finished it, so therefore, it might be I don't know how that works. I think what happens is you have up to 30 days to start it. And then once you start it, you have 48 hours in which you can watch it as many times as you want. Oh, then I'm going to get into it again tonight. So That's so many asterisks. Underneath the rental, but you had never seen this right? movie before. Yeah, it sounds like a. It sounds like something at Apple. They were all in one room, and they're like, "Okay, okay." So they get thirty <laughs> days. Like, well, that's a lot. Okay, okay, forty-five hours. <laughs> forty-five specifically, uh, and it's all in that fine print and those user agreements uh, that we yeah. never read, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's how I'm gonna end up going to jail. I'm gonna break a user agreement. <laughs> I know I'm going to end up in prison somehow. That's how it happens. Um, uh, say it again. Sorry. This is your first seen, time seeing the movie. First time seeing the movie. Um, I, I'm not a reader, so certainly didn't read the book. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not an intellectual. Can't be bothered with words. But I did, uh, yeah, I, first time seeing it. And, uh, what I, I, I told Sarah that it was a, um, this was the Ocean's Eleven of for character actors. Oh. It was like all of the character actors get to like show their stuff on this. Everyone's got some stuff to do in it, you know. For sure. Yeah. That's really that's very uh yeah, on the nose. <laughs> Carla, have you read the book? I've not. All time American classic. Written by Ken Kesey in the early. Don't shame me. <laughs> I've got other American classics. It's one of your fa- one of my favorite Craig's is when Craig goes into data. Yeah. Like, it, like like when he becomes Wikipedia. Craigopedia is one of my Craig-a-pedia. favorite Craig's. I love it so much. Uh, I truly do. Well, as an example, this movie is currently number eighteen, eighteen on the IMDb. Uh, number eighteen. T- number eighteen on the IMDb list. <laughs> and number thirty three on the American film. Institute list. Where's it landing the British lists? <laughs> it won several BAFTAs. Uh, this movie won the big five Oscars. Picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. It's only happened three times in Academy oh, she history. Won actress? She did. Who was she up against? Bunch of nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> I do. This is, I think, the best year for Best Picture nominees in uh, Academy Award history. Really? Because four of the five films have been covered on Craigslist. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Dog Day Afternoon, oh. Jaws, Nashville, and then the fifth was Barry Lyndon by Stanley Kubrick, which is also a classic, I wow. think. So it was a, a oh. great group of nominees that year. I know that Louise Fletcher was the only – actress who was in a nominated film so you know there's no best actress candidates in uh jaws 
<laughs> or, do- or dog day. It was more of a supporting role, but good for her. No, she for, won. Like, she won lead. Really getting it. Wow. The other two films that have won the big five were also have been covered on Craigslist. Do you remember what those are, Carla? Silence of the Lambs. Yep. And it happened one night. That's right. Holy cow. Those what? Were- I've turned into a Craigopedia. Carlopedia. <laughs> <laughs> The movie was also nominated for four more Oscars, including Best Supporting Actor for Brad Dorif as Billy Bibbit in his uh, film debut. A lot of actors making their b- debut in this. Christopher Lloyd had never been in a film before. Really? Danny DeVito, Brad Dorif, uh, and Will Sampson, who plays uh, Chief Bromden, was also not an actor even and brought him in for uh, for this. What else was Brad Dorif yeah. in? Which- well, Brad Billy? Dorif. Which one is he? Billy. The- Brad Dorif is Billy Bibbit, the stuttering yes. character. Yes. yes. Um, he's actually best known for playing villains in his career. Huh. As a matter of fact, he's been on two previous Craigslist movies. Uh, he plays Grima. It happened one night. <laughs> he's in It happened one night in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> he played Grima Wormtongue in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh. So he's, uh, King Theoden's evil advisor. Wow. Uh, so he had a, just a small part in Return of the King. Most of his, uh, part is in the Two Towers. And he's also part of Dennis Hopper's gang in Blue Velvet. Ugh. Your favorite movie. But, <laughs> and then he's uh, also known for, if you're a fan of the TV show Deadwood, he played the doctor on Deadwood. Oh, yeah. Uh, and is re- he's really great on is that show. No, the, the doc is a good guy, yeah. I think. Yeah, one of the few good guys in, on, <laughs> uh, on Deadwood. Um, but probably his best known part is a role that he has done in, I think, seven films uh, as a voice actor over the last 30 years. It's a horror franchise, and Brad Dorif plays Chucky. Freddy Krueger. He's the voice oh. of Chucky. Whoa. Totopedia. <laughs> Craig, you've elevated us. It into... it's, it's has worked. The experiment has worked. <laughs> uh, so you hadn't read the book, but you had seen the film before, I think, with I me. Had. Yeah, I, I guess so. I thought I would have seen it twice before, but I think I just saw it once before, and I think it was with you. <laughs> And this would have been probably the last time I was revising the list, maybe about 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, when we were working on a cruise ship together. Yep. There have been a few that have come up where I was like, oh, I saw that with you on a cruise ship. <laughs> and this was one of them. And there's something about living in a stateroom on a cruise ship for months and months that feels like being in an insane asylum. <laughs> this, uh, that's the right setting for this film. Uh, wait, wait, do, do we have to wait for Carla to tell us if she liked it or not? Carla, did you like this movie the second I time can't around? Wait to hear this. Um, mixed feelings. Mixed feelings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I I think you know I like a lot, pretty much all of Milos Forman's films. I just think he does interesting things. Um, <laughs> I have no words. Oh no! Oh no! I've fallen <laughs> off of my Craigopedia. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll. Get, I guess we'll get more into that. Sure. Huh. I'm I'm f- still forming my argument about this film. That's okay. ki- that's kind of good. Yeah. Like I feel like if if I have like an immediate thing with a movie, it always falls off. Like it, a movie that makes me kind of revisit to think about it. Yeah. Usually means I like that movie. Yeah. Um, t- I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But what I, I remembered about it, like when we were about to watch it, I was like, oh, that's a great movie. It's a sad movie. Like yeah. that. Those were kind of my two th- yeah. thoughts. But then seeing it. Now, after having watched so many of these types of movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because there's a definite vibe that Craig has <laughs> um, with these films, uh, these classics, these cinema classics on his list, um, it is very 
masculine again. Again, it's very male dominated. Um, I would even argue that she's not really that well rounded <laughs> of a character hmm. in terms of a female lead. Now that I know that she's a lead, I like question a lot of things even more actually. On the AFI list, Nurse Ratched was listed as the number five villain in movie history. And I don't think wow. she's a villain. So everything that I kind of knew or thought about this film going into it, now that I've been watching, again, so many of these types of movies, like I'm a little more bummed out yeah. <laughs> about her character specifically. Um, so we'll get into it, I guess. I'm going to post uh, Roger Ebert's great movies review of this because I think he had mixed feelings about it as well. His original review was kind of positive, but also to, kind of taking it to task when it came out in 75. And then he revisited it uh, for his great movies list later. And I think he considers it a very manipulative film mm-hmm. and also doesn't really take mental illness seriously. Huh. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the, the things that does well, that it does really well. And I think... There are kind of tonal shifts in this movie. I think people kind of remembering it, um, remembering the broad strokes of it, kind of remember it as a story about kind of a an anti-hero crusader going up against the system and that it's got uh, – I think it also showed up on AFI's like cheers list, meaning it's like one of those movies that – uh, that audiences can rally behind, you know, but uh, uh, it's – but as Ebert said in his essay of like, it's not that great for McMurphy at the end. Like no. he's, uh, he's a vegetable, yeah. you know, yeah. and he gets smothered by the, uh, the chief, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the biggest issue that is, it feels like we're supposed to be cheering on this guy who's actually kind of an asshole and just like not a great person. I don't know that just because he takes them on a joyride on a boat to fish while he humps his lady in the, in the cabin or whatever. <laughs> like, and we're supposed to have this moment where they're like, Oh, they're friends. And it's like, Oh, actually he broke out of this hospital and stole a boat. And like this woman, might be getting raped by all of these people like i'm not totally sure if he's just like brought her along just so everyone can sleep with her i mean certainly she seems like she's into it but then i would question that from the filmmaker's point of view as to what her point is (sighs) oh no the, I was gonna try not to be like this, like this, <laughs> I, because I, I there's so there are some really like in terms of what Todd was saying about it being an ensemble and everybody has their thing and their characters are very clear and they're all in the same scenes together. Like it is really cool in terms of like watching a bunch of people play together, hmm. but I don't know what it's trying to say about mental illness or about an anti-hero who is in jail because he slept with a 15 year old, <laughs> you know, that definitely puts a weird tinge on the whole thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. really nurse ratchet. Okay. My final thing. She's just trying to do her job. <laughs> <laughs> like she just is actually probably pretty good at her job. For sure, for sure, there's something weird happening at the end with Billy that I don't totally understand where she's manipulating him. Um, before he kills himself. Um, but up to that point, I really feel like she's just like trying to do her job. <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, I think I think it's fair to observe that there are probably story points that in 2019 play differently. You know, yeah. again, this is a book that was written in the early 60s, movie made in 75. You know, so that this is kind of this was the take of mental illness at the time. I think they th- thought that they were being progressive, being progressive yeah. Uh, yeah. at the time. But also, you know, Milish Milish Foreman had uh, matured as a filmmaker under the, like the uh, communist regime in Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. So his early films were like kind of heavily coded, like subversive satires against the system that like got past the censors. Mm-hmm. Huh. And so, you know, when you see this movie in the light of like Vietnam and Watergate and the way that every 70s auteur movie is kind of about Vietnam and Watergate, you know, Mm. uh, it is kind of like this is a time where people had no faith in systems or authority. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see that argument for it. But then why are all the people who are with the exception of like the main doctor, all the people who are um, the... The Admi- administration. The administration. They're all women or black men. <laughs> like the people who are representing the man, quote unquote, in that argument of like how this could be about, you know, big systems or whatever and, and, and going up against that, like are people who are actually normally vilified. Hmm. Am I wrong? <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. <clears throat> Interesting. I mean, it's very faithful to Ken Kesey's book in terms of the events. You know, sure. all, pretty much all the events uh, take place exactly as they do in the book, you know, and and the characters are, are very much what he described as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's three black orderlies on the ward. There's Nurse Ratched, who is uh, usually just referred to as the big nurse in the uh, in the book. She's not given a first name in the book either. Louise Fletcher invented the name of Mildred for mm-hmm. her. It's a good one. Did I just totally make this unfun? <laughs> no, no, it's an interesting, you know what? I, I, I think it's an interesting thought. Like, I mean, to some degree, the, the black characters in this movie aren't necessarily for the thing. Right. They're just sucked up into the system. Right. Uh, which is kind of the case back then, I imagine. Yeah. I also feel like we're looking at, like you're saying, a representation of a thing in Amber of like, yeah, that's pretty representative of the time. Right. Like, like mm-hmm. women and, and minorities were not given much. It feels like it, unfortunately, is like, yeah, probably also factual as much as it is culturally just (laughs) representative. Yeah. Kind of dark. Um, Yeah. 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 I think we're viewing the the story through the lens uh, of present day. I think, why is this movie on the list? I just think it's one of the best acted and directed Mm -hmm. movies that I've ever seen. And I think in terms of like ensemble acting – and in casting too, I think Milos Foreman really took pains to make sure that each of those guys on the ward, uh, even if they have a relatively small part, are recognizable faces and personalities. So I, I just love the group therapy scenes of kind of like going back and forth between all the characters right. there. And in terms of discovering like certainly uh, Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd would go on to be big names, but were completely unknown when this yeah. was done. Yeah. And, uh, people like Brad Dorif and Vincent Schiavelli, who are, you know, had good care, uh, careers as character actors, very recognizable look. Everybody's well. very memorable in it. I would, mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. And even those three guys who play the orderlies, like in the little moments that they have, like, I kind of like that 
the, the way they react in that last scene when the, you know, they've had the Christmas party, you know, it's just fucking trashed. Yeah. Uh, and you sense that these guys have like, their job is so boring that they actually are kind of like digging. Yeah. Like, this is the day of like, all right, we right. get to like throw down some authority here and like take care of shit. Yeah. Um, and that one guy when he has that scene with Jack Nicholson in, in the pool when he's like, you're not getting out of here, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, uh, is a really great scene too. They're almost like if they're almost like they're like laughing at just like uh, like realizing they're like I guess that someone's gonna get in trouble. Yeah. Like they're just kind of like laughing at the whole thing, yes. which is an interesting like they it's kind of like McMaster's character McMaster, did I get the character name right? McMurphy. <laughs> it's kind of McMurray's uh point of view, which is everything's kind of a joke, uh no matter how big of a mess it is. Right. And I think the arc that Nicholson plays in this movie too, because he's a, he's kind of a career criminal, you know, not a great guy and he's faking mental illness, uh, in order to get out of his work detail. And he thinks that this is going to be a country club. Basically, mm-hmm. he's going to hang out, play some cards, watch the world series, you know, and he'll get out in two months at mm-hmm. the end of his sentence or whatever. So I think Nicholson's arc of gradually his realization of the thing that he's really gotten himself into is really well handled. And especially those moments at the end when you see him reacting to like Billy, uh, or, or Cheswick, you know, these characters that are really bad off mentally and knowing that you really see Nicholson kind of clocking of like, Oh, this is not a joke. Like these people are not right. fucking around mm-hmm. here. You know, what have I gotten myself into? And he's so close to getting to escape too. I think that's what I find so heartbreaking about it. And he is, there is that open window that he can run out at the end, you know, and, uh, he goes to, to help Billy in that last moment, I think it's really, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's a. I have to like digest it uh, more and more and think mm-hmm. about it. Some, I think the like the idea of it being, I got the sense sense of it being about the system of just psychology, but of course, it's about the system as a whole um, and what all those choices mean. Like, like that it takes a hero to like stay in the thing to fight it out. To, yeah. Like, but the way that it all crumbles around is so dark. Like everyone yeah. ends up in the same place they were in. Right. Everyone does. Um, and there's like a, a moment where when the system breaks down a little bit, everyone gets better. Everyone heals to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it all just kind of goes back to what it was. It's weird. Yeah. So I, th- I think the final uh, message of this movie is probably pretty bleak. Yeah. <laughs> then, right? Though you do get the chief escaping, and but right, you know, yeah. how soon after that is he going to get caught? Right, <laughs> right. No, but, but then also, like, uh, what is he? I mean, I think the thing that's also sad about it is that he's basically. I mean, these are mentally ill people. So, yeah, what was he thinking? <laughs> it's just kind of what I kept thinking. Really, like why? wouldn't you expect that he would kill himself? Like, why wouldn't you expect that they would freak out and get upset? You know? And it just kind of shows like how ignorant he is about the world, I think, and how the world really works. And, and also like as being the alpha male in a room and thinking that he can win any 
But I mean, like situation. After, after his prescription of like, hey, have sex with this woman. Also very weird. Upsetting. Like, go have <laughs> sex with this dude. She's like, great. Yeah. He's uh, like, make, the, make out with me first and the, then go. The character is a prostitute, by the way. So oh. I don't know. I don't know if that's clear in the, in the movie. Not that that makes it okay, but I think. It makes it make more sense. It makes more sense. At yeah, least. I didn't. Wasn't clear to me either. But but uh, like his prescription is have sex with this woman, get it out of your system, relax a little bit. He walks out of there not stuttering, mm-hmm. not feeling ashamed. Mm-hmm. Like things are actually looking up for him. Like mm-hmm. his his prescription fixes it. Mm-hmm. It's when the system comes back in and says like you should be ashamed. I'm going to tell your mom and all this stuff that it like darkens the darkens again. Mm. It, yeah. that, that's the I don't know. By the way, I do like that all of the people who work in there, all the orderlies look like they look like old ice old timey ice cream shop workers. <laughs> <laughs> Little black bow ties yeah. and white. Sure, they're just like good humor men. Yeah, yeah. That's it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's uh hmm. yeah i don't know if i would have been as sensitive to all this stuff if we hadn't been going through this process of watching these older films where i just feel like every week i'm like oh my god i have to watch another movie about these guys (laughs) (laughs) what do these dudes think about the world exactly what what more can men have to say about anything (laughs) and i don't mean to be condescending but this is just where i'm at in my i'm trying to explain why maybe i'm being harder on this movie than maybe it deserves if it is held in such revere by so many people. Well, yeah, I think what you're saying is McMurphy is just not a character you can rally behind. Yeah. But probably the movie is taking advantage of Jack Nicholson's charisma. And he's mm-hmm. super charismatic. And I would, and I, and I can totally agree with that. Like, I think he's great in the film. Um, he's very likable, even though his character is very disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but like just when you kind of look at what is actually the circumstances that brought him here to this point, it's just hard to get behind him. And really, he never does anything for anyone that doesn't do something for himself. Yeah. And I, I think Ebert's probably right in calling it manipulative because I think it's probably fair to say that it doesn't hold up as a story when held up to scrutiny, but it works as a movie. Right. It totally huh. works as a movie. And I guess, you know, like this, the scene where, I mean, that's probably why it is effective. Instead of him going out the window, he goes to see Billy. So maybe that is something that's selfless. But my God, he's put all of these people through quite a bit yeah. up to this point. So yeah, it's okay. Uh, and then like, so, so, okay. He has a lobotomy. Is that what happened? Yeah. They lobotomize him. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is the process of a lobotomy? This is something that I would. Based on my understanding from this yeah. film, you get two cuts in your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> they, I assume they have some kind of straw. You can't speak anymore. No, that, that's they have gone. A straw. They suck it out. They suck out your brains. <laughs> I, my whole take during that, by the way, was getting when he's getting uh, suffocated. It's like he's like all of a sudden he comes to life right before he died. Like yeah. all of a sudden he's like ready to kick and move. Like yeah. he's been like very frail. Yeah. But um, but yeah. I think they just get in there. They just you make a couple cuts. They get in there. They take out part of your frontal lobe. Snip, so, snip. So they remove part of the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what was done for particularly violent patients at the time. Um, I mean, it's brutal. There was a, a Kennedy sister who had a lobotomy. Right? No. Whoa. Yeah. And she lived for another 50 years in oh. a, in a asylum. Um, for 50 years. I think so. Yeah. Rosemary Kennedy. You don't know her <sighs> story at all. No. Uh, and then also you see, uh, electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah. Uh, as well. 
Um, I read up on that, and it really is still very commonly used uh, in psychiatry today, and it's particularly effective in patients with really severe depression and schizophrenia. Uh, it is somewhat controversial in the uh, in the field, but it's it's still very very common. Uh, and the article that I read, in fact, kind of took Cuckoo's Nest to task for not depicting it accurately. And it said that uh, after this movie was out for a while, that there was a lot of protests uh, against it. But I guess most uh, psychiatrists consider it um, normal therapy. Wow. Yeah, they just use it as a punishment in this instance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Huh. I, I did notice the guy who... I've seen in a thousand movies, and you will know his name and credits. Uh, but the the guy who's bald that was in the bed, yeah, Michael Berryman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he um, like he's got marks on his head where he's clearly getting that a lot. He had also, I think, that character is supposed to have been lobotomized as well, oh, which I right. think Those is, are lobo- uh, is I see. in the book uh, I see. as well. Yeah, Michael Berryman, very distinctive looking actor. Yeah. Like he had. Uh, some sort of uh, disfigurement with his skull or, or whatever. He's been in a million yep. horror movies. Mm-hmm. Famously in Res- Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, he also plays a, a principal in uh, uh, Motley Crue's video for Smoking in the Boys Room. Yep. Oh, wow. That's where I know him from, I think. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think that is. Yeah. I, I was like, I know this dude. Wait, yeah. he, he's not a Goonies man. He's not a Goonies man, uh, but he's in Weird Science. Yeah, he's been in. He's in, like in the biker gang in Weird years. Science. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah. once you see that guy's face, you'll you never forget him again. Yeah. But he's still alive and still working uh, awesome. a lot to the, to this day. So great. Yeah, yeah. That that uh, lobotomy thing is just bonkers. Like that stopped, right? They don't do that anymore, right? I have no idea. Craig, do you know? Uh. Craig's listeners, please write in. Let us know what's going on with lobotomies. <laughs> Give us that days. lobotomy update. <laughs> no, I don't think it's done very often uh, today. Gosh. I just like, too, that science is like, what do we do? Just pull parts of the brains out, see what we get. Like th- That is the level that science is at. <laughs> so just remove crazy. some of it. So Ken Kesey based the novel on his experience <sighs> working at a veteran's hospital in Menlo Park, California. Hmm. He set the novel in Oregon, which is where they ended up shooting it uh the book is told the narrator of the book is is chief um but the book is kind of goes into these like psychedelic uh things because the chief is the chief is a schizophrenic uh but also yeah kesey was working at the hospital at the time that the cia was doing their mk ultra thing of testing out acid uh lsd on veterans oh wow so i think and then that's how ken kesey got into lsd and then eventually became you know the head of the merry pranksters and uh uh, tom wolf wrote that book the electric kool-aid acid test following ken kesey uh around so can wow i feel like there's a whole just gap in my my knowledge of everything (laughs) you just said like i don't know about any of that stuff that's yeah there's like that that's like i think a lot of the the thinking around LSD comes from Ken Kesey and also the the doctor, the Timothy Leary, Timothy Leary, the yeah. two oh, like right. the two biggest names in that culture, right? Like, yeah. Although I read a book by uh, Michael Pollan. Listen to it, but I still don't have the data. 
which actually kind of took uh, Leary to task a little bit for being more of a self-promoter than actually somebody oh. who was at the forefront of leading the movement. He kind of uh, jumped in at the end of, of that period, and doctors had been experimenting with LSD wow. uh, all throughout the 50s. He became the I face think. of it, unfortunately, for the st- – like he said – he Michael Pollan claims that, yeah, that – We'd be using it probably regularly or, or at least be way further along in the study had he not wow. been the face of it. I love that Michael Pollan somehow gets involved <laughs> at some point. He's like, I don't have my fingers in enough things. Yeah. I just built a house. Let's see. LSD. <laughs> I did really enjoy that book though because he goes on like three different psychedelic trips for himself to, really? uh, to write it's about really what it is. It's really oh, that's interesting. so interesting. It yeah. really is. I've listened to him on a lot of podcasts because of it too. I just like to, I like to hear him talk about it. It's pretty great. Yeah. This is Michael Pollan, the guy who writes in defense of food yeah, yeah, and yeah. omnivores dilemma. Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, he was Samin Nosrat's, uh, mentor. Yeah. He got her into writing, uh, cookbooks as well. Can you imagine being a person like that? Who's just like, I'm awesome. I'd say like, <laughs> I'd say he's like brought like whatever Leary did negatively. He's almost in the last few years been like brought that back. Like he solely has been one of the people bringing it back really? in, in popular culture. Like, cause Michael Pollan's so well respected. It's not like you get some dingus who's like, yeah, try, we try LSD, bro. It's like this dude who's like really well respected in the world. Yeah. Um, and so he's taking an honest look at it and. Opening it to a lot more people. It's just really interesting. And that it, there is a grounding in medicine and science yes. for it as well. All I'm, right, I'm in. <laughs> you guys, I okay. got this LSD. We're going to pause the podcast and we're all going to trip and then we'll record the back half of the podcast. <laughs> Let's make this happen. <laughs> while we're on acid. <laughs> Uh, and then I also read this book on the Manson murders too, Chaos, which also talks about the MK Ultra program and how Manson himself may have been, uh, one of the subjects that had been given LSD. Uh, by the CIA during that time. It's um, so weird how all that stuff connects up. Like <laughs> yeah. all of the seventies is su- just sucked into this thing. <laughs> by the way, um, what do you, what do you attribute so many movies coming out this year being so powerful? Do you think just the time in our culture as America, like going Falls through? <laughs> yeah. I mean, essentially like things falling apart. Like are we looking at a couple good years coming up for us in America culturally? <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, the worst things are politically, usually art responds. And, you know, movies take a while to get made. So, you know, Trump elected at the end of 2016. So three years later, we're reaping the benefits by having uh, an amazing year for movies. And Craig's listeners, we will do our normal top 10 for the year and top 10 performances. We'll put that out around uh, Oscar time, regardless of whether the podcast is done by then or not. It should be done. Uh, as Car- Carla will second, I'm sure. Seconded. Um, but yeah, it's going to be hard to put together a top 10 for this year. I know. There have been so many good movies this year. We just watched Hustlers last night, which Carla, Loved I think, is going to put in her top 10. Really? It wouldn't yeah. be in my top 10, but I think it was good. <laughs> I'm excited to hear your top 10. Yeah. I'm so out of the loop. I just like... I want to see all all this stuff now. There's so many good things this year. I think ours might be very different too, so we might be able to collectively get a lot of different uh, movies in there. 
Anyway, Ken Kesey was not happy with how this movie was uh, adapted. I guess he never saw it till the day he died. Really? And I think at, at one point he sued them saying that they had violated the contract of uh, that they were supposed to honor, you know, the tone of the book or whatever. And he got 5% of the profits of the movie. Wow. Through his lawsuit. Wait, he'd never seen it, but he was unhappy with the way it was portraying things? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that doesn't hold up to scrutiny either. Yeah, it's a strange. I mean, truly, like, what? what <laughs> And practically all, all the characters, you know, there weren't invented characters. All the characters are right there in the uh, the book. Uh, all the events take place. I think in the book, Cheswick kills himself. Uh, so that, that that's about the only difference, I think. Does Billy kill himself too? Yeah, that's also in the book oh, as well. So sad. The book was almost immediately adopted into a play by Dale Wasserman that played on Broadway in the early 60s. Uh, and Kirk Douglas bought the movie rights and also starred in the play as mm-hmm. McMurphy. Uh, the Billy Bibbit on Broadway was Gene Wilder. Wow. wow. And Harding, uh, Mr. Harding is, uh, was William Daniels, uh, who is, uh, B- Benjamin's father in The Graduate, and he was the voice oh, of Kit, yeah. a night writer, former uh, head of the, uh, SAG union. <laughs> uh, and so Kirk Douglas wanted to make this movie for years. <laughs> you married to this baby? <laughs> no. It's absurd. Kirk Douglas wanted to make this movie for years. By the time they got around to it, he was too old, but he sold this film rights to his son, Michael Douglas. Wow. So Michael Douglas was the producer, uh, on this movie and, and got it made. The first actor cast was Danny DeVito, who was an old friend of Michael Douglas. Um, of course they would appear together in Romancing the Stone. <laughs> Later. Years later. Uh, and they also did a Broadway revival in the early 70s where DeVito played Martini in that mm. uh, as well. Um, he's I think, so good in it. He's very good. He's yeah. very, and so in a very non Danny DeVito yes. part too. Yeah. yeah. So not himself. Like for him to, I'm re- uh, frankly really surprised he had such a huge career after it. Yeah. Because yeah. you would think it would be like, what does this guy really do? Right, right. Because <laughs> he's so good in it. You he's know? so great. And that's the weird thing of right after this, you know, a couple years after this movie that Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd were starring together in Taxi playing, you know, uh-huh. characters that were so different from what they're doing here. Yeah. Uh, and so they shot it at a real institution in Salem, Oregon. And the doctor that I was trying to do up top, it was the real head of the facility. So all of his scenes with Nicholson are improvised. And he the actor in it? Yeah, the guy who plays the doctor who does the intake of Nicholson at the yeah, beginning no of the movie. Way. Yeah, who was... uses the word crazy a lot? <laughs> yes! I totally said the same thing! That's really... You know, science. It was more of a clinical term back then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why, this gentleman's crazy. Uh, Are you sure he, you don't think he's crazy? <laughs> He seems crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave him a part in the, the movie. Wow. I mean, officially, he's out of his gourd. <laughs> he's banana. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a working facility. It was still being used. And a lot of the extras you see are actual mental patients. The actors... Other than- <laughs> Which I also have questions about. Okay. <laughs> but I won't bring them up now. I don't want to waste I any more time. I hope that dancing gentleman is a real one because I want if if something ever happens to my brain, I hope that's how I end up. He seems so happy. <laughs> he, he does seem happy. I love that. He's guy. just da- yeah. dancing constantly. He, and they have to like stop him from dancing. I love it. I, love I think that, that guy. guy was an actor, but oh, I, uh, I think anybody with a name is an actor, I, I think, but uh just in in some of the other scenes when you see other patients there. Uh yeah. 
I, and, but I think it, you can really, it, it holds over in the movie. I think that it feels authentic to be on that, you know, real place. You know, you feel the weight of this place, I think, and you feel the effect that it's had on the actors. So all the actors other than Nicholson did a week of rehearsals there, kind of getting into character with Foreman. Then Nicholson showed up. And I guess Nicholson was so freaked out by how committed they all were. Like nobody was dropping character between takes or at lunch or anything. Uh, and so I think that effect of how Nicholson is reacting to the guys around him, really, you can see that in the movie as well. Yeah. Do you think that was uh, led by those actors or do you think that's a, a Milos move to say like, hey, stay in character to make him feel this? Uh, probably both. Yeah. And I think they had multiple cameras going. So I think there's a lot of great reaction shots as well, particularly Nicholson, but really everyone. A lot of times other people will be talking and it'll kind of, and there's a lot of kind of handheld stuff, kind of mm-hmm. documentary style. So you feel like a fly on the wall, particularly for those group therapy sessions. One of my favorite details is there's a great shot of Ratched kind of like staring daggers into McMurphy. Uh, after he interrupts, uh, one of the therapy sessions. And apparently what that shot was, was literally Louise Fletcher getting direction from Milos Foreman <laughs> and not, not agreeing with him. And then he used that take. That's uh, funny. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it ratchet or ratchet? Ratchet. So it's a blend of wretched and ratchet. Sure. Hmm. Ratchet. Yeah. Got it. I mean, it's a great character name, regardless of how you feel about. Yeah. I mean, wh- what do you think of Louise Fletcher in this? role i mean she won best actress for it she has had a long career but she hasn't really had another role you know uh, of this visibility i think i think she's great sure yeah i do i do (laughs) i don't i don't know that like it doesn't yeah she doesn't really do a ton am i wrong in saying that she, like she's, you're, I think you're, she's like pretty one note. Like she's yeah. doing the evil like, thing. She definitely has a presence, and like there's a vibe. And I know that she as an actor is doing something to create that energy, but that just kind of stays there. I kind of feel like the the thing I like about it is I, I was thinking about this when I was watching is the way that the way she's committed to it is I think she's made a choice to believe that the the things she is doing are helpful. Yes, I think you're right. That she is not doing anything to be awful. She's being professional. She's being professional. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and professional with, I think with it, even a human aspect of like, this will help people. Right. Like, uh, by, she doesn't want the World Series played because she doesn't want to disrupt the thing. Yeah. And so she finds a way when he gets, when he uses his charisma, she finds a way to knock it down and still be able to m- control it while making it seem like this is the, the rule of the land. Yeah. Um, not to be awful to him, but to, again, like, this is, this is good for you. I'm not going to give you cigarettes. You're giving your cigarettes away. Right. And so I like, there's an element of it where it's hard to like play evil. It's easy to, I think, for someone to play evil as just like, I'm an evil person. Yeah. I think it's harder to play evil with a sense of like, I'm doing this for someone's good. I agree. I would agree so hard that I would argue that she's not evil at all. Right. <laughs> she's right. really yeah, just. Yeah just trying to do her job and like i feel like she knows that if she lets them watch the world series that they're all going to get worked up Mm -hmm. they're all going to be up late and upset and it's going to make tomorrow even harder Mm -hmm. (laughs) like she's trying to be uh yeah a good facilitator which she does anyways right but like faking her yeah it's true yeah i mean even like i was thinking about it uh, this kind of brings up it it made me kind of chuckle when i watched it but just 
you know, a guy, there's a, a, a fucking party <laughs> with alcohol yeah. right. on the ward to hookers, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a man commits suicide. Yeah. Uh, and another man tries to choke her to death. And she's like, be here on Tuesday with a neck brace? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she, she could back. take a week off if yeah, she wanted. She's yeah. just back in the same fucking ward. Yeah, It'll she- move her. She looks happier too, doesn't That's she? Thing. <laughs> she is kind of smiling at yeah, the end she's there. She's kind of like, well, because well, he gets lobotomized, she just feels safer, I guess. Yeah. But even with him, like, she's trying to help him in right. her mind, but it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he literally tries to kill her. Yeah. She, yeah. <laughs> he literally wants to kill her. I mean, yeah, it may be one note, but I do think it's a very effective note. And then when there's, I slight- do too. And I, I wasn't trying to say that in a negative way. Yeah. Like, it's just hard to, it's hard to say, was that one of the greatest performances of all time? Right. Oh, you know no. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that's how I felt the question. I don't know. You didn't say that, but it was like. That's not what I meant. No. Yeah. I think she's great in it, you yeah. know, but it's just like, it's not a showy role necessarily. Yeah. I just think she's got a, a great stone face. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and then Could when have she. Could have been a wrestler <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> And then when she does like raise her voice slightly, like it's very effective in, in those moments. Yeah. I mean, definitely as a teenager watching it, I remember I had like a bunch of my high school friends over, you know, for like a party one night and we watched this together, which is, it seems insane. <laughs> does it seem crazy? Does it seem bonkers? It's slightly bonzo, I think. <laughs> uh, but I also remember this being one of my parents' favorite films, too. Really? So I think there's that aspect to it. For some reason, my parents saw, I don't think the world premiere, but an early screening of it at the Kennedy Center in DC. And I, and that like Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher were there and everything. I have to ask my parents exactly how they happened to get it tickets was through to that. through a friend of your mom's. I've heard this story okay. a few times. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think it was through a work friend, and also somehow my mom met Robert Duvall around that time wow. too. So whatever real estate agency she was working for in Virginia was very connected to the movie biz. Wow, at the time, huh? But I think watching it with my friends, I definitely like responded more to the comic moments. You know, all of the colorful characters in the ward, the fishing trip. Uh, all that stuff and definitely like rooting for Nicholson to choke her at, at the end, yeah, yeah. you know? So I think I was responding more to the manipulative elements. When I watch it now, I think it is just more of a sad story from beginning to end, but still really effective. And I, I just watch it and admire the, the acting and the, the way that the, the story unfolds. Yeah. I think. There's a lot of really impressive things about this movie. I even think the structure is pretty impressive with how the water fountain thing comes back at the end yeah, with Chief. Totally. Um, and just the way that they kind of set up certain character things that end up paying off in that final party scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's very well done. Um, but it hates women. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything from that time that works well for women? Like, is there, are, do you have any standouts like that? Well, I think Nashville was the same year, I think, and that's got a, a lot of great prominent female characters. There yeah. is a connection to this movie, by the way, which I, I forget whether we talked about with Nashville, uh, or not, which was the Lily Tomlin part in Nashville was written for Louise Fletcher. That's right. When, when Louise Fletcher, 
yeah. uh, accepted her Oscar for this movie, she ended it by signing to her parents who were both deaf. And so that's why the Lily Tomlin character has deaf children and does sign language in that movie. Lily Tomlin herself did not know sign language. She learned it for the movie. Uh, but Altman was going to use Louise Fletcher and then she booked Cuckoo's Nest that's instead. That's right. I so. do remember us talking about that. Interesting. It's, it's interesting to think about this being such a huge Hollywood film. Like that it got a huge yeah. like premiere. And it was a big box office hit too. It's so strange. Yeah, people were sad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does say like how progressive artistically and creatively the 70s were. Yeah. I mean, like if this movie came out today, I can't imagine it being a huge hit. I mean, we live in an era at a time recently where I – or not recently, but like in the 90s, like I said, Science of the Lambs was a huge hit. So right. Who knows what people like that. Well, I think Parasite uh, did as well at the box office as any like dramatic foreign film has in a long, long time. How did so they do compared to Marvel? Um, I think a fraction of that, but <laughs> yeah. Let me look at the box office for this year. Oh, like no, Parasite number one, Avengers Endgame number two. So yeah, <laughs> actually missed out on seeing Gary Sinise as uh as McMurphy in Steppenwolf's production that they did. Oh. Uh, I think in the late nineties mm-hmm. when I lived in Chicago, I saw a matinee, and actually I saw a great actor named Chris Stolte, who was a guy uh, that I knew a little bit in Chicago, was Sinise's understudy and went on as McMurphy and was fantastic. And Amy Morton was Nurse Ratchet, who was also a, a fantastic stage actor. We saw her in Augusto Osage County, mm-hmm. but then Steppenwolf took that production to uh, to Broadway as well. I feel like that movie works so well as a play, except for that fishing trip. <laughs> how does that go? Yeah, how does that? Work? I don't know how they do the. I don't think they do the fishing trip oh. in the uh, in the play because it. Yeah, they must. Have but it's one location. One location. A lot of great roles for a lot of actors. Yeah, almost everything else happens there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. Oh, I can't wait for this. Well, this is another, this is another example where Carla, we finished the movie and Carla's like, I didn't say anything during this movie. I'm like, well, I might have a quote or two. <laughs> we did, uh, watch maybe like the first 25 minutes and you fell asleep yeah. uh, in our first attempt. So I don't know if you even remember seeing this, but it was one of those moments where Charlie Cheswick is kind of uh, like creating a stink. Uh, I think it's this one is the one time where he's trying to support Harding. Oh yeah. Uh, and he's like, but I'm only trying to help you, uh-huh. but I'm only trying to help you, but I'm only trying. <laughs> and he's like, stay off of my side, pal. Uh, and Carla said, such an irritating character. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that actor was one of those who was so committed to his performance that he was freaking people out and the, the casting crew a little bit. Yeah, they were I'll like, do it. you can't have my phone number. I don't want you to keep in touch. <laughs> uh, little details like I like the scene where Nicholson sees the uh, squirrel walking on the electric wire and he's like, oh, I can get out. You know, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. not, it's not electrified, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, clearly a stunt double, by the way, that's doing that because it's very impressive work of <laughs> yeah. like scaling the fence, jumping yes. to a, a branch, which is feet away. <laughs> Only two shots, I think, by the way. Yeah. Like, that dude did that. Yeah. He really did that. Very cool. Not Jack Nicholson, but, uh, Mm-mm. but well done. I thought it was Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I believe in him. <laughs> you think he can do anything. You also thought that Leslie Nielsen did his own tumbling in, uh, the naked gun. <laughs> <laughs> just a movie we watched again last night <laughs> were you watching it last night yeah yes. oh wow it how does it hold up it makes me laugh so hard I think it's really funny it's still funny oh good yeah. 
There's a, there's some duds in there, but there's a For lot sure. of a lot of great laughs but too. There's a lot of like pratfall type humor yeah. that just I enjoy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those see, that scene where uh, Frank Drebin thinks that somebody's in his apartment and he, he does all these flips and stuff. Yeah. It's actually really well done. It's of like, funny. it could be him. Like the the cuts are so quick that he bump. <laughs> And there might be times where, like, the stuntman literally did the thing and Leslie Nielsen is, like, hiding behind him to yeah. pop up behind the couch and stuff. Might have to consider that for Craigslist. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Carla falls asleep at the 25-minute mark. I say, you want to pause it? And you said, yeah, it's pretty boring. It's a lot of guys. <laughs> I don't uh, remember. 25 minutes is almost exactly where I fell asleep. Really? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I tried to watch it last night and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Uh-uh. <laughs> the scene where he's trying to get uh, Chief to dunk the ball the first time on the basketball court, Car- Carla said, this all becomes very important later in the movie, in the third act. <laughs> <laughs> Carla and McMurphy, this man's going to be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> also, the first therapy scene, uh, McMurphy's still wearing the clothes that he came in with, and Carla's like, why doesn't he have to wear the uniform? <laughs> yeah. Right? I had that. And yeah. I think it's another thing in like with costume design of like everybody else is in these white, you know, jumpsuits. Uh, but McMurphy always has like his blue shirt like under the, the jumpsuits. Yeah. It's kind of a way of distinguishing him from uh, costume design. He's the leader of the pack. He's got like, a leather jacket and a, a, a beanie a on beanie, most of the time. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, he's awful. It's hard to get on his side. It's good to have a woman in charge. I have a feeling I'm going to side with the villain in this movie. She's just doing her job. <laughs> <laughs> He needs to be broken. I think I can read all of these without a context. <laughs> it's pretty clear what like, you're talking about. I was like, he needs about. to be broken. <laughs> Got to break his spirit. But I, I feel like, you know, with, with that World Series stuff, you know, you just get the sense of like, he thinks this is going to be a boys club, just mm-hmm. like prison. Like, we're going to watch the game and, and everything. And he. It's a little Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> yeah, it is like Cool Hand Luke. I had that moment. Did yeah. you watch that movie on your list? No, we watched The Hustler, oh, right. which is, you know. Newman in the sixties as well. Cool and looks a very good movie. That it's great. A, it's all dudes though. Yeah, that's a very duty movie. Duties. A very duty movie. A duty movie. <laughs> yeah, that what was the other one? The Hustler? That one fell in a time when I was not watching them really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you watched every minute of this movie. You know, again, I you, did. the the rule is you only have to watch a third. And I was thinking I would, but then I watched it all. Yeah. You you got hooked in. Fishing trip get you? Him getting out, him escaping is what caught, pulled me in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's Because it broke up the monotony a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Is that where you caught up? I don't remember. Maybe. Yeah, it's possible. It was like, it felt like it was like, uh, scene after scene of like, let's have group therapy where I'm like, like, and we've seen that done at this point, like post this movie, so many group therapy things were done. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it was. I think it was when he, he climbed out of the, Climbed over the fence, but I was like, back in. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and you said, doesn't he take them for ice cream or am I thinking of Girl Interrupted? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a plot point on Girl Interrupted. I think you're where right. Where they go to town and get ice yes. cream. I wish they and ice cream. I, obviously, Girl Interrupted, like similar plot point of like a bunch of colorful characters in a, uh, in an asylum, but, uh, I, I didn't think until watching this movie of like how much it cops from this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, to the point where Billy and Brittany Murphy's character feel very similar. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was done on purpose or not, but... 
Well, Girl Interrupted was a memoir, right? So yeah. apparently somebody lived that. Somebody lived Cuckoo's Nest for real. <laughs> a, a woman. A woman lived it. And her name is Winona Ryder. I'll tell you who. <laughs> a lady. <laughs> and then when uh, McMurphy tries to lift the uh, the water fountain the first time, Carla said, this becomes very important in the third act as well. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Another quote of McMurphy. Right, <laughs> the worst. He's like Trump if Trump were born poor. true (laughs) yep 15 year old he just can't he can't stand to listen to a woman tell him no (laughs) and i i mean the chief is a great character as as well i mean there's probably like the equivalent of magical negro in terms of like Uh magical native american man in in this there's an aspect of of that that's maybe a little belittling but i think for a non-actor uh, in his first movie, I mean, Will Sampson does an incredible job. I think I would like to see this version, that version of this movie, though, where he's more in control of the narration. Yeah. And like we get to see if he is schizophrenic, we get to see. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see this movie more from his point of view. Read the book. Is he is he schizophrenic? Is that the thing? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Not in the movie, though. I don't think it's really said. It is mentioned that he's one of the few committed oh, men right. That's right. there that aren't there voluntarily. But I thought that was just because he wasn't talking and he was pretending like he couldn't hear or speak. Yeah. He's deaf and dumb or whatever. Yeah. Did um did it hit you sideways when he said chief the first time? Yeah. The first time they call him chief, I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it no, was troubling. no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah. And then like the music when he runs away. This is very really much. Bad. It's Not very, bad. it's very much like, huh? I didn't say it out loud because I didn't, I didn't want to end the movie in that way with that final Carlos quote, but it's like, <laughs> The drums that they're yeah, playing. it's problematic. It's very problematic. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I again like I go I I had to when he, when he said chief, I had to in my head go like, all right, this is a seventies movie. That's where we were as a culture. That's as far as we could get. Yeah. Um, and he became he's a hero of the thing at right. least. But boy, oh boy, yeah, it was like. All right, things happen in time. <laughs> you want to feel real weird? Watch the behind the scenes interviews, or what is it? Not behind the scenes, but like yeah, there was like a making of documentary making, that that I watched really? this morning. But like, I think it was probably done in the nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. It was like an anniversary of the movie, and like Michael Douglas says, is, Indian a lot. Says Indian a whole lot, and about how they found this Indian man. I don't even think he says man. This Indian. And like just the way he describes it, it, like I wanted to run and hide in the closet. It's strange. It, <laughs> it was so weird. It's weird how like it's still like it's still like uh uh I know somebody worked in on a reservation, mm-hmm. and they would use the word Indian. Everybody, the the people at the school, the people like the people in the community would say Indian, which is so strange. Yeah. The Native Americans themselves. Yeah, and I even heard, is Native American is like not a, is that not an appropriate term anymore? I don't know. I've heard they're I like thought... working with like maybe calling first peoples or something because they weren't Americans. They were Native. Oh. They were first before America. Right. We're so going to look that up. First people is a little more respectful. It's a little, it's also very Canadian. <laughs> they say that in Canada, the first peoples. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they're, there's a lot to unpack there. Again, like we just talked about this recently with another movie, maybe Casablanca. Yeah. Like really having to um, look at the movie, like you were saying, at yeah. the time it was made and like being aware of how this stuff isn't okay anymore, but also like trying to 
look at it through that lens so that you can at least try to enjoy the film I know, and not, not want to cry. <laughs> I was thinking like in, you know, 40 years when Sam is looking back at movies, like she's going to be looking at things and going like, look at these people drinking out of water bottles in every scene. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, they not realize how, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I Sam like, is Todd's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You knew that Her crazy listeners. <laughs> uh, I didn't have a kid who was not even was born the last time you were on this podcast. <laughs> Since I was on this podcast, a new human being is on the earth. <laughs> new formulation of cells. Who is like the biggest part of your life. Yeah, she's important. She lives at, at my house. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of movies is she into? Uh, she's not allowed to watch digital media yet. Okay. Oh. I did show her. She's very into the Muppets. Which is exciting. I'm fun. That's exciting. We pulled out the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Christmas record. We have a Christmas record. Mm -hmm. The Muppets with John Denver. Yep. Just listen to it. It's great. I've been (laughs) listening to it too much. Yeah. Uh, she does think that John Denver is a Muppet, which is great. Which, who are the Muppets? And she said, John Denver. Um, but yeah, she, she can name them all. Like I showed her one time and she's like, got it. And she loves animal. Oh, the wow. the other day we were on a walk and she said we were just walking and she started going sorry <laughs> so, like in the voice and I was like what are you doing and she's like animal oh, sorry he said sorry to song so yeah. cute <laughs> so yeah she's she loves the Muppets it makes me happy oh, so I, I all that that's say, some good I showed parenting her a thing. that's why <laughs> that's what that's how it came up yeah that's adorable. Well, I think for a small part, for a non-actor before he did this movie, Will Sampson does a good job. And uh, he did go on to make another 20 movies or so after this. He did. Yeah. And uh, he died right after he appeared in uh, Poltergeist 2 uh, in oh. the m- mid-80s. Is so he th- part of that curse for that? I think he's part of the Poltergeist curse. Oof. Yeah. It's like he died in 88, I believe. Uh, he was still, I think, in his mid-50s at the time, relatively young. But I the odds that the the character is so vividly described in the book is just this gigantic Native American man, uh, and they just had the hardest time finding the the character. And uh, Michael Douglas was on a flight with this businessman from Portland, uh, who's like, "I work with the Indian community." Uh, and then that guy ended up playing the harbor master. They gave him a part that no the guy way. who tries to stop Nicholson oh, and the guys from getting too. on the the boat. So yeah, he was he, he was a not another non actor. Oh but Will Sampson was a rodeo performer and was working as a park ranger at the time. Wow, that, guys, they, that they cast him in this. He's movie. acting anything. <laughs> is it anything i don't know i tried to be in commercials i worked at acting and then these motherfuckers show up and they're great they're fucking great <laughs> maybe it's the director maybe you needed a meal ocean in your life maybe that's it you need a little meal ocean in your life <laughs> who doesn't by the way you mean an angry guy behind a camera going we only have five minutes go again is not helpful <laughs> that's not going to help sell crate and barrel things stop looking that. angry <laughs> uh really quick also listening to Milos Forman talk about this movie and the making of this movie in these interviews and how a, a much of a great experience it was for him. And the only comparison I have is that Jim Carrey documentary. Uh, oh, for Man on the Moon. For Man on the Ugh. Moon. When poor Milos Forman is just running around trying to corral Jim Carrey and convince him to not be such a fucking lunatic. God damn it. And you're like, oh, this guy, like, this guy's an incredible director and Jim Carrey just just drove him insane. Well, it's it's also funny to see then the behind the scenes of like everybody talking about how the all the methody aspects of it really worked, but then there's Jim Carrey just taking method too far. Yeah. As Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah that that documentary speaking of like this is an annoying character. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> He's awful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I and, can't even. And then I, afterwards, he uh, like as he's like talking about it, he's kind of like, "What are you gonna do?" Yeah, that's method acting. Yeah, like Andy, Andy was in me. <laughs> fucking Andy was in me. <laughs> what kind of self righteous or like or like just like cocky dipshit do you have to be to think you're in? Oh yeah, I'm making this movie, and Andy Kaufman came uh, like into my soul. Uh, he, I'm he, the conduit. Because I'm so Andy I'm Kaufman. so worthy of that. Fuck off. Oh. It's possible that the spirit of Andy Kaufman may live in me at some point before this podcast ends. Oh, I hope <laughs> that happens. <laughs> when they do go on the fishing trip, Carla said, I think this is the ice cream moment I was talking about earlier. <laughs> and they don't just catch a couple little fish. They get some serious fish. Yes, they come back with huge, enormous. Which I guess is like a callback to the doctor with the picture with the fish, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because he wants to be like, "Hey, look, I can get a big fish." Thank too. you. Of course. <laughs> yeah. This movie was shot in sequence, by the way. Other than the fishing trip, that was the last thing that they shot. Wow. Uh, other than that, shot in sequence. Um, <laughs> this when uh the one scene without McMurphy really is when they have the doctors meeting about him right after the fishing trip, and they're like, "What are we going to do about this guy?" And this is before they mm-hmm. have him committed. Uh, but. She says, I'd like to keep him on the ward. And Carla said, I want to break his spirit. I want to break him in half and eat him for supper. <laughs> I was just giving you the villainous version. <laughs> that, brief- that was the scene where they said crazy a yes, thousand times. I, yeah, they said crazy And a I lot. said, yeah. Craig, I don't think these are serious <laughs> psychologists. The one psychologist who looked like a very current hipster but was just a 70s dude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of crowd manipulation, this briefly becomes a sports movie too for the basketball game scene. And, uh, yeah, as realistic as it is or whatever, it's still a really fun scene. It is. I think. Um, uh, you did notice that Chief, uh, had some chucks on. Yeah. <laughs> he's wearing, he's wearing Chuck Taylors, huh? <laughs> uh, then it cuts to them, uh, getting hydrotherapy and Carla said, nice spa, boys. <laughs> <laughs> And then the order, orderly tells him the truth. He's committed. And Carla said, ha, 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 you sucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just love how Nicholson plays that moment uh, when she reveals to him that most of these guys are voluntary of just like he just can't. Yeah. I didn't remember it. that. And it kind of shocked me, too. I was yeah. like, what? Yeah, that's a great moment. Yeah. They're all like, sorry, but we didn't know because we're here because we want to be. <laughs> And that moment where they get in a fight right before they get sent down for shock treatment, you said, no, chief, this is not the guy you want to be sticking up for. <laughs> <laughs> but he really kind of hitches his wagon to McMurphy. Yeah. Mm. One, uh, of, one of the tragedies of the movie. It's so sad. Um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, I like that when you find out who's committed in the group, you're like, oh, yeah, Christopher Lloyd does seem crazier than everybody Yeah, else. yeah. <laughs> he's probably a psychotic, yeah, right? Like yeah. he seems kind of scary crazy when Mm -hmm. the other ones just seem like nervous or whatever but but then you realize this is probably the lowest security wing of the hospital right right? like these are the guys who could leave at any point so when they do get sent down below for the shock treatment like i really like that nurse has just a brief scene like she seems like very administrative and then there's like 10 people in the room with them and everything and you see like weirder and scarier guys in the background there, which are probably some of those real patients that we're talking about. I just don't know how they got around that. (laughs) Yeah. Like what kind of contracts did those guys sign? (laughs) Doesn't seem ethical. Yeah. Did they join SAG? (laughs) Right. (laughs) They probably had to. 
Uh, Scatman Crothers is in this movie, too. Who? Scatman Crothers. Who is that? Plays Turkel. He's Turkel the Nightman. Um, oh, the guy who gets locked, locked in that room? Yes. Uh, I mean, he's probably most famous for The Shining. He's the guy with The Shining in The Shining, you know, oh. who gets killed with a with an axe <laughs> later when... Uh, he's great. Yeah, he really is. He appeared with Nicholson in four movies. Wow. I think there was just a time where everybody knew who Scatman Crothers was just because his name is so uh, yeah. distinct. He was also the voice of Hong Kong Fooey and other cartoon characters for wow. Hanna-Barbera in the, uh, the 70s. But yeah, he does uh, do a really good job in his brief scene. Um, gross. This is so gross. Uh, I think it's probably, uh, related to the party scene. Maybe it has to be the hooker scene. Yeah. I was really bummed out about <laughs> yeah, that. It was pretty upset. Upsetting. At the very least, he could have tried to stay awake. What an idiot. Oh, cause he just like falls asleep. I mean, I do like that shot of like him. It's like two minutes on Nicholson just, just re- yeah, falling asleep. But he's like feeling very good about himself, uh-huh. having just hooked up his friend with this prostitute who I thought was his girlfriend for some reason. Same. <laughs> uh, and like watching how he kind of goes through that whole thought process is really interesting. And then how he falls asleep there. <laughs> yeah. Like just delighted by himself. Yeah. Like that's the only thing you had to do was stay awake <laughs> to yeah, escape. One thing, one but I just think that last fifteen minutes is so riveting and and tragic. And you know, so the nurse shows back up. Uh, Billy stands up to her for a second, but then she kind of reverts him back to his stuttering ways. Uh, he commits suicide. Uh, McMurphy attacks Nurse Ratched. Uh, I do like that scene where like now it seems back to the status quo at the ward. The guys are playing poker, you know, the classical music is playing again. And the one guy comes back, he's like, McMurphy escaped, you know, and, and Harding, who's like the one realistic guy is like, no, he's meek as a lamb, you know, yeah. uh, but it's almost like McMurphy is like a folk hero now, right. you know, uh, on, on the ward. Can we unpack a moment real quick? Yeah. <laughs> do we have time? Sure. I'm I'm curious your impression of what Billy's thing is. What's happening with Billy when, like, when he commits suicide? You mean? Well, he obviously has mommy issues of some sort. <laughs> yep. So I don't know if there's like an abuse thing that we're supposed to understand there or uh, what. But then when she's like, "Your mother and I are old friends," like this, just the whole scene is so bizarre and doesn't give you much information. My like now looking at the story of the film like as a whole. I mean, like, having grown up very religious, I can speak to this too, <laughs> of uh, my kind of crazy. But, um, you know, I, in the story of the film being that the system is the thing choking him, it's like when the system is relieved, all of a sudden he can be himself and not have shame. Like, shame is essentially what's holding him down, mm-hmm. right? She says, are you ashamed? And he says, no. And they all cheer. Like, that is the the pinnacle moment for him of being free of it. Um, and then she mentions his mother and he's back under the thumb, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, and she represent her, his mother's part of this, the structure mm-hmm. society is holding something down. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually like that about, I mean, even if in fairness, like maybe it's not an accurate depiction of mental illness, but I like like not knowing the backstory of any of these guys mm-hmm. in the context of watching this movie and then maybe just having to imagine why they're there. Um, I guess because it's like that moment is the catalyst to him then, I mean, obviously killing himself, but then also Jack Nicholson responding in such a way that he goes to try to kill the nurse. Yeah. (laughs) Like, 
I was just like, am I, I just don't totally understand. Oh, uh, like how does it, how does it bring such like a, a, vib- a vibrant, like aggressive yeah, response? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the, like it's the whole thing he's fighting is like brought up in one instance so clearly. Right. I guess he just can't. And he, he he's terrified that his mom's going to find out. Yeah. It, yeah. It's shame. He's like buried in shame again. Sad. Did mm. you would it, like? I'd be interested if we have time of like a synopsis from you of like the whole thing, like a, like a quick overview of like what you think this movie is saying and doing. What is what is thematically relevant about <laughs> like, Cuckoo's like Nest a, in this just, day and age? Oh man, we talked about the movie. Like it's the joy of my life to like look at something and be like I don't know what the fuck this is doing, and then Craig's like, "Here it is," and I'm like, "Great." <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to agree that it's manipulative, but I think in a really effective way. I think. Again, like so much is dependent on the charisma of, of Nicholson. Uh, I don't know. I just feel, and I really shouldn't be. I feel exhilarated when Chief breaks out at the end of the movie yeah. and, mm-hmm. and grabs the, the water fountain and knocks out the window. And I don't know. I, I just think it's one of the more effective endings that I've ever seen. But yeah, I mean, maybe story elements of it don't hold up to scrutiny or, or what whatever. does it mean? Craig? What does it mean? Like, what are we, what do you think the intention is of the filmmakers for us to walk away? And I know that it's great art you can't describe and that artists don't like to talk about what it means. They want to talk about the journey of it. But like for you as the consumer of this piece of fiction, what what do you get from it? (sighs) I... I mean, I think the filmmakers are definitely thinking of Ratchet as the voice of, uh, authority mm-hmm. and the system. Uh, and I think that it's supposed to be a countercultural, you know, mm. protest against the system. I think, I don't think that, you know, still holds the same weight today, mm. you know? Yeah. And like I said, as a teenager, I definitely maybe rallied behind more of the hero arc of it, uh, mm. a little more. Uh, I think now, again, I just appreciate the, the performances of the actors and the way that it's put together as a, as a film. As you said, that it works really well structurally and that you just get one of, I just watched Uncut Gems, by the way, which, uh, me and my sister did not care for. Um, mm. but that's a movie that's like two hours. Really and just t- threw your sister in the bus. Yeah. On that one. <laughs> Liz hated it. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's like two hours and 15 minutes of like nonstop, uh, heart attack, basically. Yeah. Like it's wow. suspense that like never lets up. And I feel like this is a movie where Foreman like will build tension, 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 and then release. Yep. Tension, 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 release. Mm-hmm. And then the last 20 minutes or so is like building up tension, building up tension, building up tension with this huge mm-hmm. release at the end of like literally breaking out of a window, you know? So there's something about the arc of that, that works really well with my emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't Absolutely. know if that's a good enough reason. I think it is. And I thank you for taking the time. <laughs> <to explain. laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, McMurphy's been lobotomized. Uh, the chief kind of mercy kills him, smothers him with a pillow. And then finally the chief picks up that water fountain and he busts out of there and Tabor, the psychotic, wakes up uh i just love how christopher lloyd plays that moment kind of laughing in delight and then he suddenly like kind of like shuts yeah. up and becomes still and then we see the chief uh running off into the countryside and carla in this wonderful moment said i thought they were in the city 
<laughs> right? Yeah, they definitely were in moments. Yeah. <laughs> Before they were like looking out the window, there were like trees right there. The yeah. Women, like yeah. No, it looks like he's like uh, he's Maria in The Sound of Music. Yeah. <laughs> he's about to do a big. The hills are alive. Yeah, arms <laughs> wide open. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> I think, I think they're in a rural, they're in a rural area, uh, a few miles outside of Salem, Oregon, which is not a big town, but it is the capital of Oregon. Uh, when they steal the bus, I think they go through downtown Salem a little bit there. They go to Depot Bay, which is a, uh, uh, harbor uh, on the Oregon coast. Home Depot will get advertising anywhere they can. They have to buy a bay. <laughs> uh, Todd, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Uh, sorry, I will. <laughs> One last thing I want to say about it is, um, I think this is. Uh, oh shoot! Now I can't think of what it's called. It, what's the? Ah, I lost it. Oh. Uh, this is my favorite Juicy Fruit ad uh, I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it was building up to them just being excited about having Juicy Fruit gum. And I was like, this is a... Early oh, product placement. Yeah. Really? What? I was like, it, it took me right out of it for a minute. And I was like, this whole movie is just a Juicy Fruit ad. But I, I did want some of that gum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm ready. I'll be lobotomized for it. Yeah. Is that the point of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Juicy Fruit gum so good, you'll be lobotomized for it. <laughs> I, I'll give this... I'll give this a oh i'll give it i'm gonna give it a a a b i'm gonna give it a b a b great carla a b minus b minus what does that stand for it stands for bitches be crazy (laughs) 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 which i think i've used before but (laughs) (laughs) but they be crazy but they be crazy Taking to note some of the shortcomings that we've addressed, uh, I'll move it down slightly. I'll move it down slightly out of the top ten. Okay. Uh, after Sunset Boulevard, but ahead of Annie Hall. Oh, mm. interesting. So it'll be it'll wind up somewhere around number fourteen or fifteen, I think, on the list. So I still love it. this movie. Todd, you want to improvise a little scene with us? Yeah, you bet I do. Well. What if the movie doesn't have such a tragic ending? What if, what if McMurphy and Chief do escape? Uh, and they get out and, uh, and maybe just a few years later they run into, uh, Nurse Ratched on the street. Okay. In the city that they live in. Wait, McMurphy's not lobotomy, he's just a dude. <laughs> this is pre, pre lobotomy. Okay. Pre lobotomy. So they yeah. escaped when the first time he wanted Chief to escape with him. Yeah. Okay. And who, who do you want to play, Todd? <laughs> I would go with McMurphy. Yeah, this is... Uh, okay. <laughs> we better be careful, everyone. Yeah, I'll do McMurphy. Please hold the door. Hold the door for me, please. Right this way. Oh. Oh. Oh, my. Oh, this is awkward. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Oh, oh no. Oh my god, good to see you. Oh. <laughs> Not you so much. You're still together? Well, we, we hang out a little bit. We see each other sometimes, yeah. Oh, don't be modest. We hang out a lot. We hang out. We, we're good. We're good roommates. Friends. We're roommates. I'll be honest. I took a bet and I thought you'd both be dead within a month. <laughs> I thought so too. I gotta be, I gotta be straight up. I did. We've been having a blast out here. He kind of holds me up and I hold him up. We're a real team. Yeah. All right, well. Look at this handshake. Ow, 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 ow. Yeah. Oh, that was supposed to be between you and him. Yeah. 
I don't know why you're saying ow. <laughs> no, I tried to show her. <laughs> it hurt. How's uh, how are all the, all the boys on the ward? They're all still there. We have some new joiners. New what joiners. are you guys like? Anyone hopped out of there yet? Uh, no, they're all. Uh, we have several. We actually accept women now too. Oh boy, that's my kind of place. I'll be back. And we watch the World Series every month. Oh. Really? Maybe it's finally the place we dreamed of. <laughs> you want some gum? <laughs> Do you take this gum. Okay, I'll I'll try your gum. You'll be glad you did. It's a double mint. Double mint. I prefer juicy fruit. Oh, juicy fruit. Oh, don't say it like that. Please don't say it like that. <laughs> it does sound good. <laughs> Just thinking about the juiciness of that gum. Well, gentlemen, gentle, gen- well, men, I'm on my way to call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. It's fun. Hey, uh, I, I haven't gotten any better at improv by not doing it for you. Honestly, I think you were the best person in that scene. So. <laughs> totes. Totes. Uh. Todd, where can people find you online? Anything you want to promote or anything? Holy crap. Um, uh, my band doesn't have a name yet, so we'll stay out of that. Uh, <laughs> people can still listen to the, uh, Feliz Navi Pod. Feliz Navi Pod the podcast. You know what? We stopped doing it, uh, together, but Tony has a new podcast that you should listen to called Bizarre Albums. Oh, I've heard it's great. Phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, cool. And he is the all time best. Um, I am part owner in a lumber yard now, uh, <laughs> which is, what a weird turn of events. But uh, if you're ever in Los Angeles, we take trees that come down in LA and turn them into usable lumber so that it doesn't just go in the landfill. Aww. So it's an exciting, uh, uh, corner of business in our industry, in, in our world. But, uh, if you find yourself in LA, come on by, check us out. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Carla, we only have four movies left on the list, by the I way. I can't. Fucking <laughs> and I don't think we've been addressing this enough. You still have one pass to use. Wow. Whoa. Because <laughs> this was the deal at the beginning of the podcast. You only have to watch a third of each movie for it to qualify. And in, in addition to that, you were allowed to take three passes mm-hmm. on the entire list. And you did pass on Dances with Wolves. Mm-hmm. Dances you, with Wolves? I don't regret it. You passed on... Because <laughs> it's so long? Yeah. <laughs> Raging Bull. Don't regret it. So anything with a big animal in the title uh, so far. What's left? So we, Charlotte. are you going to use your final pass? I haven't decided yet. Okay. I'm still not totally sure of the movies that are left. Okay. So when I propose these, each new movie, uh, I'll give you the, your chance to pass then. Okay. Okay. So next up we have number four. We have the greatest movie of all time. The consensus critical pick of the greatest movie of all time. When Harry Met Sally. It's, it came out in 1941. It was written, directed, oh and stars my. Mr. Orson Welles. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Rosebud. Citizen Kane. <laughs> Spoilers. Rose. Spoilers with the Rosebud, Carla. Rosebud. It's uh, not a bad movie. And we have a returning guest. She's been on twice before. Uh, a couple of our favorite episodes. We did, what did we do? Body Heat and, uh, Pinocchio? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Jamie Moyer is going to be back oh, for, uh, best. for this one. Carly, do you want to take your pass on Citizen Kane? Nope. I'm in it. I'm in for it. You're going to watch Citizen yeah, Kane? I've seen it. Okay. I like it. It's a good one. Great. Yeah. It's not bad. Awesome. It's me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Greg we'll Listeners. Watch those wolves, though. <laughs> 
We'll see you next week for a little Citizen Kane. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>